Hello and welcome to Soul Survivor Main Meeting Talks from April Conference 2019. We hope you enjoy. Into the blazing furnace, fairly full on. Uh, what we find out is that there are some astrologers who catch wind that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego um, haven't fallen down and worshipped this statue. And in verse 12, they go and they, they tell King Nebuchadnezzar this. And they say, but there are some Jews who you, who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. And so King Nebuchadnezzar is absolutely furious when he hears this and he, he commands for them to be brought to him. And so when they're brought to him, he gives them another opportunity to again uh, fall down when the music plays and worship this statue. But look how these three men respond. And this is really, really key for us today. They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. Amen. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And so obviously when King Nebuchadnezzar hears this, he's absolutely furious again. And so what does he do? He makes the fire, the furnace, seven times hotter and orders for these men to be tied up and thrown in. Now, you know, if you're at a bonfire, when you're standing in front of a bonfire, just how hot it is as the fire gets bigger and you kind of have to turn your face away because it's so, so hot. Well, the men and the soldiers who actually were commanded to throw uh, these three men in, they actually died because of just how hot it was. And so these men, they're thrown in. And I love this next bit. It says that King Nebuchadnezzar, he leaps to his feet in amazement. And all of a sudden, he doesn't just see three people in the fire. He actually sees four. And they think that the, the fourth person could have either been uh, Jesus or it could have been an angel of God. But the point is we see the presence of God with those three people there in the fire. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he then calls for these, for these three to come out of the fire and look how, what he calls them. He says, servants of the most high God. And so he's acknowledging in that moment that their God is the one true God. And what's crazy, they come out of the fire and they don't even smell like fire. Again, you know, if you had a bonfire, a campfire, girls with long hair or uh, your hair stinks for days after when you've been at a fire. They did not even smell like fire. Their, their clothes were not, um, had not been damaged. There was not a hair on their head that had been singed. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he stays true to being brutal, except he kind of flips it the other way around now. And he says, if anyone else says anything else against these, um, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what I will do is I will cut you up into pieces and I will turn your house into rubble. Again, pretty full on. Um, but he finishes by saying these really, really powerful words. And I love this. He says, for no other God can save in this way. 
for no other God can save in this way. He's acknowledging that their God is the most high God and that their God's ways are higher. It's an amazing, an amazing story. And what I've had on my heart to share and what I want to explore this morning is what does it look like to be someone who is shaped by faith and not fear? And even as we um, sung that last song, I feel like the Lord's already doing that for us this morning, that he's releasing some of us from some of the fear um, that we've been carrying. And our worship to God is proven by our faith and our trust in him. Our worship to God, because we know it's more than just singing, that's part of it, and that's a beautiful part of it, but it's also our whole lives. And that worship is proven by our faith and our trust in him. And sometimes the thing that gets in the way of our faith and our trust is fear. And, you know, we see King Nebuchadnezzar, he tried to use fear in order to control the people to worship him. But, um, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did not give in to that fear because they knew it would compromise their worship to God. And they could have taken the much easier path. They could have bowed down to that statue in a second. That was so easy to do, but they knew that that would compromise their worship to God. And sometimes Satan likes to tempt us with a safer path, a more comfortable path, so that um, we feel like our worship to God is actually uh, gets compromised in that when we take that path. And there will be moments, and there's moments in my life all the time, even this week, where the Spirit prompts you to take a step of faith. But in the same moment, Satan puts another path in front of you um, to follow, to give in to fear and follow a more comfortable way. So I just want to um, look at some of the fears that we faced just to start off with. But I think one of um, a really big fear, and I've, these are fears that I come up against all the time, um, but one of them is a fear of man, a fear of what other people think. Um, how will that person respond will I, when I do that? What will they think of me? Uh, we used to run a, a gardening ministry at our youth group for many years, and we'd go door knocking and we'd offer that help. And that was one of my biggest fears. When I'd knock on that door, how would they respond to me? What would they say? Um, and to be honest, only out of all the times that we did it, I probably only had two times when someone was actually kind of rude to me. But that fear of how other people will respond, you might have even faced that this week, um, that can stop us from stepping out. Or maybe you might even have a situation um, it was a, a way someone's hurt you and you want to confront that with someone, but you're scared to confront that with them because, again, you're afraid of what they might think, of how they might respond. Another big fear that I think sometimes gets in the way is a fear of failure. And I'll be really, really honest with you. This has been one of my biggest ones I've had to overcome for doing this and, and getting up and, and public speaking that fear of what if I get it wrong? What if it just falls flat? And I've learned over and over again, Jesus is like, leave the result up to me. Just be obedient to me. Just follow me. And often a fear of failure 
can really stop us from stepping out. You might have even felt prompted to, to pray for people today or throughout the week and, and you don't go and do that because you're like, what if I get it wrong? What if I give them the wrong word? Or what if they think I'm crazy? And again, that can stop us. Another one is, I think, the fear of the unknown and, you know, starting new things. You might have dreams that God is putting in your heart this week and, and the fear of what exactly that will look like sometimes stops us from stepping into that. Uh, I know that for me, it might even be starting a new school. I remember I actually used to go to Pacific Hills, this school, up until year eight and then mum pulled me out and sent me to William Clark. And um, I don't know why schools do this, but <laughs> they always put the school camp right at the very beginning of the year. And so I was a new kid and then suddenly you're shipped off to a camp with no one who you know. And I remember being in that position and I was so afraid of this unknown. I didn't know anyone. I didn't know what was before me and I was terrified. And actually my mum, the amazing lady that she is, for like two weeks beforehand, she'd come into my room every morning and she'd say, right, I want you to repeat after me. You're excited to go on this camp. You can't wait to go on this camp. God's going to do good things on this camp. She made me do it like literally every morning. And by the end of those two weeks, it's like I had trained my brain to be like, okay, I'm excited. I can do this. And I'm going to speak a little bit more about that um, later on. But the Bible tells us that perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And the Holy Spirit, we're told, has poured out the love of God into our hearts. And so what we need to do is we need to learn to invite the Holy Spirit into our fear. Because when we have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Jesus living within us, when we encounter Jesus in that way, um, he has the capacity to cast out that fear, to speak into that fear and give us truth. And more and more I'm realizing that fear is something that really shrinks our world. It shrinks our world. But faith really, really broadens and widens it. Um, what I loved is that the trust that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego showed, it gave space for the power of God to move. And again, like other stories that we've seen, people noticed them. When they took that step of faith, people noticed them. They saw their faith. And as a result, again, they started shaping the culture that they were around. And I love um, this phrase where it says, no other God can save in this way. Nothing compared, not even the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had built, nothing compared. And when we are shaped by faith and fear, we will find ourselves in situations where we actually see um, the power of God move. And people will, um, people will leap to their feet in amazement because it cannot be explained in any other way than acknowledging that it is our God. And Andrew and I, one of our biggest passions is to see young people um, take steps of faith and to live out faith in really small ways and in big ways too, so that the world would see the power of God revealed and that they would be um, amazed by our God. So I want to give you an example of, um, I guess, what this has looked like for me in my life. And... Uh, 
when I fell pregnant with Joey, which was a while ago now, um, I think at the last Soul Survivor, I was like five months pregnant. But when I fell uh, pregnant with Joey, Jesus made it really, really clear to me that he wanted to be at the center of that journey for me. And pregnancy and parenting, it's a really uh, interesting thing. And what I quickly found when I fell pregnant is that people, I don't think people mean to do it intentionally, but they tell you all their horrible labor stories. It's like when you become a parent, your life's going to end and you're not going to get any sleep. And it's really, and all of a sudden I was hearing these things and I was getting really overwhelmed with fear. And um, I just remember Andrew saying to me, like, Emma, I don't want you to just kind of survive this journey. I actually think I want you to, like, the Lord wants you to thrive in it. And that he has things for you to learn and that he has things to show you in this journey. And so um, one of the things that God really showed me clearly in that journey was the power of speaking faith. And I love the way that um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do that. In verse 17, remember what they said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. And they said, even if he didn't, they would still be known for worshipping the one true God. And um, so that is one of the... the the most key ways that I've learned to invite Jesus into our fear is to speak faith. And there's actually scientific studies that show what you speak out affects you physically. And so in our brains, um, there's something that, you've got to help me, I never know how to say this, it's the amygdala, which is the fear center of your brain. And when you speak out negative things all of the time, that increases that part of your brain's activity. And that actually produces stress hormones and it actually decreases your brain function. And so what we say with our words really, really, really matters. And so for me, um, in this journey, what I used to do is I'd ask God for scriptures and I'd ask him for truths and I'd write them down on a piece of paper and I would speak them out regularly. Um, and pretty much every night, Andrew and I had a song that we used to um, listen to um, and it was a song called Gravity by Jen Johnson. And in that song, it says, I can rest, it's all in your hands, sovereign you are. And every night we played that um, over Joey when she was in the womb. And I first picked it because I wanted it to minister her as a baby even before she was born. But I actually found that God was just reminding me every night about this truth, that you can rest, it's all in your hands, sovereign you are. And so, again, you know, sometimes it's as simple as getting a piece of paper, writing down the lies or the fears that you've believed, and then on the other side, asking the Holy Spirit for a scripture or going on that journey with a youth leader and, and getting some help from them and replacing that and then speaking that out regularly. The other thing um, that I've, I've learned to invite the Holy Spirit into our fear is actually the power of praise. And I think we were experiencing that this morning as we sung together. 
I remember even when Joey was um, first born and I'd have a really, really rough afternoon if she was unsettled, I used to just pop her in those little baby carriers. I'd just crank up the worship music and I'd just praise and I'd praise and I'd praise and I'd praise and I'd praise. And it's amazing just your mind and how that shifts and then seeing the food leave. Um, so anyways, in, during this pregnancy journey, I just used to speak out that truth regularly over and over again. And anyways, towards the end of my pregnancy journey, I actually developed um, a condition called preeclampsia. And I was quite lucky that I got that towards the end of my pregnancy journey because the only way um, to cure it is to deliver the baby. And it can actually be quite harmful for the mother and the baby. And um, I was getting, again, really overwhelmed with fear. And uh, they were gonna, I was going to have to go into hospital on the Tuesday, and I think this was on the Sunday. I was around a group of people, and again, I had someone come up to me, and they said, oh, you're going to have the baby this week. And I said, yeah, yeah, probably. And they said, are you going to get sliced and diced, or are you going to push this baby out? And I was just like, what? And I was like, oh my gosh, that is not what I wanted to hear. And I was just bombarded again with these stories. And I remember I got home and I called my mum and I was like, mum, I'm terrified. And she's like, Emma, get your perspective back. She's like, get your perspective back. And so what I did, I hopped into bed, I got out my phone and on it was... Andrew and I had been at a, a retreat earlier that year and we had some friends of ours who had prophesied over Joey when she was in our belly. And she had like a 15-minute recording of prophetic words and she wasn't even born yet, um, which was awesome for her. And what I did, I got that recording out and I just listened to it. And I just listened to those words that were spoken over her life. And as I did, it just gave me the perspective back. And it reminded me what God had in store for her life. And it brought me back into that place of fear, um, faith. <laughs> it brought me into the place of faith. And um, so that's the other thing I just want to say that sometimes you guys, um, you will receive prophetic words this week. Write them down. It's really important that we don't just get them and then we forget them. We actually need to speak those out. We need to revisit them. Andrew and I are actually in a process at the moment where we're collating all of the prophetic words we've ever received individually and together as a couple. Because sometimes you go through seasons where you need to read back those words. When fear creeps in and you lose sight and you lose perspective, sometimes you've got to go back and reread those words. Anyways, uh, two hours later, after listening to that recording, I felt a funny sensation uh, in my body, and I realized that I was going into labor. Now, Andrew was watching the grand final World Cup soccer. It was about <laughs> classic. <laughs> it was about one in the morning. And I thought, oh, okay, I better call the hospital first just to check that this is labor because um, the last thing I wanted to do is freak Andrew out um, and get him to come home. So anyways, I called the hospital and I said, this is happening. And they're like, yeah, it sounds like you're in early labor, like best to just wait at home for a couple of hours and then call us back and see how you're going. So I said, okay. 
Um, so I did that, and then I, I, I washed my hair. Now I think about it, it was ridiculous. I washed my hair, I blow-dried it, and I straightened it. Because <laughs> I was, I don't know, it was really dirty, and I just wanted nice hair for the rest of the week. If I'm going to go through that, I want nice hair. Anyways, so then um, Andrew came home. He was stoked because he had had McDonald's, so he was like, he had had his food, he was ready, he was on. And we went into hospital, and we went into um, this birthing suite. Anyways, I had asked God for a scripture specifically to take into that labor journey. I had my little, I ripped out my labor declarations, and I had them with me. But then I, um, I asked specifically for a scripture, and he gave me a psalm. And it, the psalm was, I will help her at the break of day. Anyways, it was about five in the morning, six in the morning, and I went into the bathroom in the birthing suite. I looked out the window, and the sun was rising, and I just had this supernatural covering of his peace over me, and I'm like, yep, he's with me. He is so with me, and that peace just filled me in a way I, I can't explain, um, and the intimacy that I felt with Jesus in that moment was, was pretty incredible just to know his presence was with me. And um, anyways, the doctor came in uh, later in the morning and he wanted to check how far along I was um, in my labor journey. And he thought I was about 10% of the way there. Um, I hadn't been showing too many signs of um, pain. And anyways, he, he checked how far along I was and his jaw dropped and he said, you're 60% of the way there. And he goes, I don't understand. He's like, where's the pain? What, what's going on? And my midwife joked and she goes, I'm going to call you the silent laborer. And that, that wasn't like, yeah, go Emma, she's awesome at labor. That was just, the, honestly, the peace of Christ was just filling that birthing suite. And Andrew and I through, and I can say through every contraction, we were speaking out these truths that God gave us. Andrew had the worship music um, playing and we were just trying to get rid of the fear by just speaking these things out and praying them over and over again there was a moment where I caught Andrew's eyes like going like this and he was falling asleep and I said you can't do this <laughs> you cannot do this but he was very very supportive very supportive Anyways, as the story continues, basically what happened, my, my um, labor didn't progress as quickly as they wanted. So the midwife came in, said she was going to break my waters, and then she said these words to me, your contractions are going to come on with a vengeance. And I'm like, a vengeance? That is not the word that you want to hear. And I, anyway, she left, and I looked at Andrew, and I was like, no. They're not. I'm not. They're not going to come on with a vengeance. That's not going to help me right now if I start just receiving all of that. So I was like, no. And again, we just kept praying and kept praying and kept praying. Anyways, uh, 14 hours later, um, our little uh, Joey was born. And um, the doctor knelt over to me. He was about to be rushed out for another emergency that had happened. But he knelt down to me and he said, Emma, I've never been around a more peaceful mother. He said, I can't understand it. And I don't, I don't really understand it. And again, that's not me. That was just inviting Jesus into a place of fear. Um, the midwives came and saw me um, every day. I was in, in hospital 
after. And they said, did you do hypnosis? Did you do calm birth? And they're like, what? I don't understand what, what was going on. And my obstetrician, again, when I was leaving, um, he said to me, he's like, it just doesn't make sense. The whole experience doesn't make sense. And the point is that, you know, when we go through that process of inviting Jesus into our fear, we really do get this privilege of demonstrating the power of God in beautiful ways. And, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar, he acknowledged that their God's ways were higher. They were, he was amazed. And um, I just saw God turning this birthing suite, which is known for a place of fear, into this place of faith so that people would see Jesus, so that people would worship Jesus. And so, you know, as I said, our worship to Jesus will be proven by the way in which we trust him and that we have faith in him. People would have asked, why would Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego go into the fire? Like, why would they do that? Um, we want people to, we want to take steps of faith where people are saying, why? Why would they do that? Um, and so being shaped by Jesus, it, it's this process of remembering our identity, asking the Holy Spirit for help so that we can fight fear with faith. And so really simply this morning, I just want to ask you, what areas of fear do you need to invite Jesus into? What areas of fear do you need to invite Jesus into? Because there are places of fear that I just feel like God really wants to meet you in. He wants to turn those places of fear into a place where he will demonstrate his glory, where he will um, use you to take risky steps of faith to show others who Jesus is. And so would you take a step of faith this morning? and invite Jesus into those places of fear.